that that happens, that that happened to fulfill your plan, which was from the, before the foundation of the world. It was, to, it was to call a people to yourself. And so, Lord, I pray even now that we would recognize who we are in Christ, that, we would, that our identity would, would be informed and transformed by what you say about who we are to you. Lord, I pray that today we would not walk out of here the same way we walked in, that we would walk out of here um, ever more certain that we are heirs of, of things that we can't even, that are above and beyond all we could even ask or imagine. Lord, I pray that, that we would not live lives of feeble faith, um, but that we would live lives um, consistent with who you say we are. That, that because of who you are and who you say we are, uh, we have victory in Christ. So let that be what our souls sing about as we live our lives. Lord, and I pray that what happens here today, what has already happened, what continues to happen here in our, in our worship in the word and in communion and in fellowship afterwards around a meal, Lord, I pray that it would be used to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ so that you would receive the glory. Lord, I pray all of this in the mighty, majestic name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to, sa to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in the body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that he the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, we who no, no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about these things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It, does not, it never does, did obey God's law and never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives in, within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its di dictates, you will die. But, but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have no, not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. 
for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs to God's glory. But if we share, we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Beautifully read. Thank you, Catherine. That was a lot. You may be seated. Grab your Bibles. Open up. Find Luke chapter 1. We're going to go there in a minute, but guys, did you see what, what Catherine just read or in your daily reading that was today? What she just read was the whole reading. I know it was a lot, but that's okay because it was, um, it's, just a, it's such a beautiful passage to, to read through and, and wash our minds with. But guys, did you see it? Did you see what's, what, what, is, what is shown there just in this one passage in Romans 8, 1 through 17? There, there are two kingdoms in the, war, in the world. There are two kingdoms that exist, only two. They're not political they're physical and spiritual, right? And, and, what, and what we have been pressing into since we have been back, or what really what I should say is what Paul has been shoving into us since we've been back from our summer series, as we've been back in this Roman series, um, is this idea that, there are, that, there's a, that there's a spiritual kingdom and a physical kingdom. And he's been telling us about this war that goes on between like the wages of sin is death and the war of the flesh and the freedom and the spirit and life. And, and, that, and we've spent about five weeks on that, actually. And he is going to kind of bring it all together in what is known as Romans 8. But guys, I, I want for us to really appreciate the beauty that is this what might be the most important chapter in all of Scripture, if I can say that about a chapter in the Bible. If for us to really appreciate that beauty, guys, we have to really believe in this whole two-kingdom thing, right? That the, the two kingdoms are this worldly physical kingdom, right? And, and we've belabored this point a little bit, but, we're, but it's worth reviewing. And that physical kingdom is not out of God's control. Nothing happens down here that is not controlled by a sovereign God, but it is ruled by what the Bible calls the God of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says that the God of this world has darkened the mind of the unbeliever, the spiritual eyes of the unbeliever, to keep them from seeing the light that is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're saying that this world is ruled by Satan and his fallen angels, and they are the ones who are darkening the spiritual eyes of people who have yet to be reborn. Not out of God's sovereign control, but still a train wreck. And then there is the this, this spiritual kingdom that is currently ruled and reigned by the only real king, Jesus Christ, and will someday come here. Now, I, want you to, I wanted you to turn to Luke chapter 1 because this Christmas passage that we read at Christmas isn't just for Christmas. Guys, kingdom speak is all over Scripture. We will see it when we're walking through the Old Testament in the Old Testament survey class, and we're going to see it in um, in. The Gospels, are not just today, but we see it all throughout. Like Jesus talked about kingdom more than anything else. In fact, if we ever get done with Romans and the Lord hasn't returned by then, then I really want to teach through Matthew because Matthew is just Jesus talking about his kingdom all over the place. And so I don't know that that's actually going to happen, but that's, my, that's where the Lord is leading me right now. But look, right now he led us to Luke 1, chapters, um, and we're going to start in verse 26 often read at Christmas. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel who was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. You guys are probably familiar with the story, even if you're not church. I mean, I was an unbelieving atheist, and I knew this part of the story, 
right? I saw at Christmas time. That's what we talk about. Gabriel is one of the three archangels mentioned in Scripture. One of them was Lucifer. He fell and became Satan. The other two are Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel's usually considered the messenger. These were amazing beings. These are amazing beings who are all powerful and really real and really exist and currently exist today. And it says, and he he was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, that who was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her saying, "Greetings." Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled, I can imagine, at the saying, and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in, the, in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now Gabriel's spinning himself up. He is so excited. We don't get it really from the reading because he has been waiting eons to share this good news. Like, like I, you just picture him up there in heaven in the throne room of God going, is it time? Like, is it time? Can I go now? And, and, and God's like, hey, easy, easy, big fella. Just settle down, right? And now it's time. And so he's like all excited. This poor little teenage girl's like, what? Right? And yet, so, so, but look at what he says. He says, and he, talking about Jesus, obviously, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Right? That, that is just the beginning of kingdom speak. Guys, the, the, the Bible is a story of kingdom conflict. From, from the time of creation and then the fall in Genesis 3, from then on, it's all about this kingdom conflict. Now, I, I do this, and remember I talked a couple weeks ago, because it sort of helps me to think spiritual, physical, but that's not really the way it is. Like, heaven isn't really up. I mean, it comes down, but we don't really, I don't think it physically actually comes down. I think it's just that's the way the Bible, God is able to describe it to us. But the, the spiritual is, if you're a believer, we'll see this in this passage, the spiritual kingdom is partially in you, and it's all around us, right? It's just, for me, it helps me sort of understand it better, like if I do this. So if I do this, this is what I mean. Spiritual kingdom, physical kingdom, hopefully by now you've caught on to that. That brings us to our first talking points question. So the talking points are on the back of the bulletin, or I mean on the back of the bulletin insert, um, our training truth sheet that we call it. And... Um, I want us to just, I'm just going to ask for um, input here, but it says, we are people caught between kingdoms. What are some of the tensions we face on a day-to-day basis? I'm asking, okay, sin, that's a huge tension, good. What kinds of tensions go along with that? Anxiety. Peer pressure. What? Conflict. Fear. Good, I heard two people say that. Fear. Impatience. What other kinds of things? Let's turn it to the, to the positive. So, like, like where, where, so, so this world, guys, this world and the enemy of this world, who is or the, the ruler of this world, Satan, who is prowling around like a roaring lion, he and the world system, which includes every political system that has ever existed, is under his authority, not out of God's sovereign control, but he's going, and he is, try, he is constantly, this world, this kingdom, is constantly trying to pull us down. But the spiritual kingdom is constantly trying to pull us up. Right? So, so what are some pull-up tensions that we face? Truth. Hope. Freedom. Peace. 
Right? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the spiritual kingdom is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guys, does that describe you? Does that describe me? Does that describe us? Does that describe most of the Christians you know? Does that describe your Facebook feed? Does that describe your Instagram, whatever they call it? Does that describe your tweets? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's this kingdom. When we're functioning there, Catherine just read it, when we're walking by the Spirit, that's what we look like. When we're walking in the flesh, we look like all those other things that you, that, that you guys were sharing a little bit of. Guys, that is ultimately where we have been. So, so two weeks ago, I taught on um, this idea that the, the, war, the reigning war, this, and, and we ended in, in um, Romans, 8, or Romans 7, 24 and 25, where, where Paul gets to the end of this whole thing about, I, I do what I don't want to do, I don't do what I, I want, I, what I want to do, and then he gets to the very end, and he's like, oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to save me from me? And then he says, thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? And then last week, John did a great job of reminding us there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Guys, and, and that's ultimately what all of chapter 8 is about. What happened is, Paul was leading us through the story from Romans 1 on. In Romans 5, he gets to this place of having peace with God. Then he pulls it aside, and in chapters 6 and 7, he's like, the reality is we have been justified. We have been transferred but, but the other part of that reality is we're stuck. And he's like, ah! And then he gets to Romans 8 and he goes, now let me tell you how to live, like really live in the beauty that is being a follower of Christ. Romans 8, I mentioned a minute ago, Romans 8 is, is by, Romans is often considered by a lot of scho- Bible scholars to be the most important book in all of the Bible because it's, it is just the gospel in, very, in great detail. And then Romans 8 is considered by many to be the most important chapter in the Bible. So when I first outlined the, our study in Romans, I had three messages planned for, for Romans 8. And for us, three messages in one chapter is pretty slow, honestly. And the pace that we go through things. I then sent an email out to the guy, to the, to the elders and said, hey, I'm, I'm really feeling led to, to take three and go to five. As of like last week, that five came to six. We're now going to do, Lord, maybe more. Guys, I'm just here to, I'm, I'm inviting you into my, my pain. Chapter eight has been wrecking my soul. Right? Because there's just so much beauty here. Like we, I, I need, wrecking my soul in a good way. Like I need to be bathed. You need to be bathed in the reality of what Paul's going to show us here. And so today what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about reigning as children of God. And we're going to be talking about this kingdom conflict, but from the sense of, here's who you are. Here's your identity. Guys, I'm praying, have been praying all week that God would use this time to transform your identity. If you don't know Christ, if you're not a believer, as Brian prayed and others have prayed, guys, I pray that your identity would be transferred from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. But, but for those of us that are already transferred, I'm, but we're still IDing ourselves too much by this person, Oh, wretched man that I am, and not this person. I'm praying that today we walk out of here going, I am just going to believe I am who he says I am. I just, I just, I, I have no other choice. And that he's done what he, said he's, what he said he did. So the question becomes, is all of this conversation and all of me doing this until you're tired of seeing it, is it worth it? Like, what is, why is it so important, or is it even important enough to have this conversation about two kingdoms? And that's what today's driving question is going to be about. Like, like, why is it such a big deal? Why should we care so much about having like, this kingdom identity? And here's why. 
And this is what Paul's going to show us. Your kingdom identity sets your mind's attention and your heart's affection. And guys, that's called worship. Whatever your mind is set on and whatever your heart is fo- has a hold of your heart is what you are worshiping in that moment. It just is. And we all, everybody who's ever lived, everybody, every moment of their life is worshiping. The only question is what or who. Right? And so we have to grab a hold of that, of our, of that thought and go, because here's the tension. Our identity tends to inform what, what and who we worship, and what and who we're worshiping trans, like, or tends to inform our identity. So it works both directions, moment by moment. It's tension, we're stuck between two kingdoms. It's this, it's this bouncing back and forth that we all are in, including the Apostle Paul. So let's pick it up in our first thing. So go to Romans chapter 8, and we're going we're gonna to start back in Romans 8 verse 1, because um, Romans, like I said, Romans 8 is just, it's really one giant thought that we're now going to spend at least six weeks in. So I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work, but today we're starting back in Romans 8, 1, and it says that, and we're going to move quickly. It says, there is, a, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guys, I, no, here's what's one, interesting about, about the Greek. In, in, in English, we have a word order. I'm not very good at it because I'm I'm, I stink at English. I can't spell. I don't know grammar. In Greek, what, part, of what makes tra- part of what makes all the translations that you might have, your English translations, a little bit different. And some of them say, therefore, there is no condemnation. Others say, now there is therefore no condemnation. Because in the Greek, the first, what they, would, they would rearrange the word order. So it didn't always go noun, verb. What, what, whatever happens in English, because I don't know it. It didn't, it didn't always go that way. What they would use the word order for was to present what was the most important idea. So they would put the, word, the first word in the, in the sentence, didn't even have punctuation, the first word in the sentence would be what Paul wanted to be the biggest point. Guess what the first word in Romans 8.1 is? No. It actually says, no condemnation in Christ. He, he wants right up front, he wants to go, oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to save me from me? Thanks be to God for Jesus. And then he's like, and I have to constantly remind myself, no condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation. I think, I think John did such a great job of reminding us that, guys, if you are sitting here today condemning yourself, what you're ultimately saying is that was not sufficient. The reason we have no condemnation isn't because you're a good person. It isn't because you're living better. It, it, it isn't even, it's because Christ took all of your condemnation upon himself and took it to his cross. Now, if you're sitting here today condemning yourself or condemning one another, what you're saying is Christ died for nothing. And that is blasphemy. It is an insult to our Savior. Now, do we feel conviction of the Holy Spirit? Sure. What's the difference? Don't have time to go into a lot of it. Here's what I'll tell you. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you, he's showing you a better way. And somebody said it when I asked about the tension. And there's hope. So conviction has a a thread of hope in it. Oh, man. Really messed up there. But 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 Jesus' spirit in me is going, but I'm going to walk with you and help you get better in that. Condemnation is, I stink, or harsher words than that. Okay, like I said, we're going to move really fast. We got through one verse. Okay, it says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free, from Christ, free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, but sending his, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he made, so his son comes in human flesh to die for humans. He says, and for sin, condemning sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. So somebody, we, that's Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Somebody has to die for our rebellion. Somebody has to be punished. Jesus was. That's all Paul's pulling, pulling that forward there. And it says, and those who walk according to the flesh, um, I says, I'm sorry, has been fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So there's these two kingdoms, flesh and spirit, or sorry, flesh and spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, now get this, it'll, it'll fit into our second point really well, but those who walk in the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They're concerned and consumed in this kingdom, this part of themselves. But those who live according to the spirit up in this kingdom set their minds on the things of the spirit. For those who have set their mind on the flesh, the flesh is death. That's Remember the wages of sin is death, Romans 6. The wages of sin is death. But to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. There's your new identity. Your life set in the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the, on, the, on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, Paul tells us. But to those who are being saved, those who are to us, it is life. Right? That's ultimately, then he goes on, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. For whoever are not of the flesh, but in the, I'm sorry, you however, and I love this how in verse 9, he's like, okay, so here's that war thing all over again. Chapter 6, chapter 7, he's, he's explaining it again, and then he goes, but you guys aren't like that. He's like, he's saying, remember who you are. Remember who, and, and he's preaching to himself too, remember who I am. You're not of the flesh, but you're of the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God, get this guys, the spirit of God dwells in you. I mean, Brian prayed it during the opening prayer, the pastoral prayer time. The greatest miracle that has ever happened is a life, a heart of stone converted to a heart of flesh and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That is the greatest healing that can occur. That is the greatest miracle that's ever occurred. That God would, that God would do that the way he did it is miraculous. And then he goes on to say, um, the Spirit dwells in you. If anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Ha you cannot be a Christian and not have Christ's Spirit. There's no such thing as that, is what he's saying. But if Christ is in you, although the body, so we still, this back to Romans 7, we still have this body. He's saying, I get the body is dying, guys, because of sin. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. He's, he's, Again, reminding us, even though this body is struggling, this one has been transferred. Romans 5. For you have been justified. You, the same word is you have been made right. You have peace with God. That's Romans 5.1. Then he's pulling that conversation forward to here, and he's saying, guys, under you've been partially transferred. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give your mortal... Now get this. This is your resurrection, new heaven, new earth, new body. The same power, the same spirit that, brought, that breathed life back into Jesus' dead body is in you and someday will take your physical messed up body and make it new. And it won't just be like you without sin. It'll be you on steroids. 
I don't, I don't know if we're going to glow. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be awesome. Right? And, and, he's saying, and he's saying we have the Spirit as proof that that's going to happen. And he finishes the thought, the Spirit dwells in you. Jesus will finish the job, people. He did not come here, live, die, rise again, send his Spirit just to leave us. He will finish what he starts. Look at verse 12. So then, brothers, you are debtors not to your flesh. In other words, you don't owe anything to your flesh. You're not under control, but, but you live according to the... But I'm sorry. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's pull, that, it's the Galatians argument that he makes. The Galatians 5, deeds of the flesh are evident. They are. Talks about all these anger, malice, things that you guys listed. The fruit of the Spirit is. I listed those. Do you remember how he sandwiches both of those? If you are alive in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. At the very end of the whole conversation, he says, so if you have been made alive in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. It's the same conversation he's having here. He's like, if you are alive, if you are in Christ, Christ is in you, how are you living? That takes us to our second talking points question. So again, look at the back of your sheet. It says, born-again believers are persons caught between kingdoms. As such, moment by moment, we, are either, we either find our identity by looking around or by looking up. It's that we're, we're, we're that person in between, and we're either looking around at this world, like remember seeing the waves when Peter starts to drown, or we're looking up and we're keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. Our identity should be informed and transformed by who God says we already or currently are, and by what we are becoming. So we already are, and we are still becoming, right? The already but not yet. What kinds of things help and hinder our right view of our identity in Christ? So what kinds of things help us keep, it's all wonderful news, and I'm still struggling. I still struggle. I still hear those words of condemnation from the enemy. I still feel like I still, I'm still down here wrestling, just like Paul was. So what are some things that we can do to keep fixed here, to keep looking up? What can we do? Pray. Read our Bibles. Remember, the, the word of God is spiritual. It's one of those things that punched a hole down here, and God has given it to us down in this world. Pray. Read our Bibles. What else? What? Do life with guys. Guys, I know this is crazy as this is, and, and some of you are frustrated with my teaching, and some of you are frustrated with our prayer time, and some of you are frustrated with our day. I just want to let you know a little secret. This is as close to heaven as you're going to get this week. How do I know that? Because my teaching is really good, or because our prayer time is awesome? Absolutely not. It's because when the body of Christ gathers together, we are the body of Christ. Right? Where God's people gather, his spirit dwells in us individually and then corporately as well. And you are never closer to the kingdom of God than when you are surrounded by kingdom people. Sundays, throughout the week, on, in your D groups, etc., etc. That's why it's important to do life together. Any others? Talk to God. Okay, so, so another just like have an actual conversation. Prayer in the Word, praying through the Word. Uh, yeah, awesome, awesome. Guys, I, I wrote this down. You, you can write it down if you want. Faith, faith looks up with courage. Unbelief looks around with complaint. Faith looks up with courage. Unbelief looks around with complaint. The other one is, unbelief diminishes the glory of God because it gets us focused on ourselves and our problems and our failures and our struggles. Faith diminishes ourself 
because it exalts the glory of God. I think it was Isaiah 61. This phrase just keeps coming to me all the time. In the, and I felt it during our prayer time and even during our music time. And I even feel it a little bit now. In the spirit of heaviness, put on the garment of praise. When there is a spirit of heaviness, when, you're, when you are, and we all have those. We all have those moments. We're tired. We're, we're, we're depressed. We're, in those moments, put on the garment of praise. Isaiah 61, I think it's verses 1 through 3. Father, I do come to you right now, Lord. I want to pray right now for that spirit of heaviness that I felt. And I feel it lifting um, because your truth, the light of your truth shatters the darkness, pierces this present darkness. And so I want to pray in the name of Jesus that you would remind us that he has clothed us with his garments. That's the garment of praise. That that because he he has put his robes of righteousness on us, you see us as righteous. Praise Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so that leads us to our second point. So, is, is this whole thing, like this whole conversation about two kingdoms and our kingdom identity and looking up and looking around, is it even worth it? Yes, it is. Why? Because your kingdom identity is what sets your mind's attention. And so, take a look at, we're going we're gonna to pick it up in verse 14. So, I see, see we're moving fast now. We've only got four more verses, and I'm out of time, but that's, no, I'm not really, but that's okay. It says, for, it says, for so this is, this, this is, sets our mind attention. For you who are led by the Spirit are sons, and that actually means son, that this particular application of the word sons can be translated sons or daughters. So he's saying, you are children of God. Again, this is that idea of if you, if you are led by the Spirit, it's that Galatians 5 argument. If you're led by the Spirit, keep looking up. Because that's where the Spirit, like the Spirit lives in there. Again, not necessarily up, in you, etc. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I loved how somebody mentioned, like, what, what, is the, what are one of the points of tension that we face as people stuck between the kingdoms? One of them is fear. Guys, f- fear and anger are where the enemy lives. Right? It's, he takes fear, and, and for, especially for men, but for women too, and he turns it towards anger. Anger is a safe emotion for men. So we get angry about stuff. Ultimately, almost all of the time, it's because we're afraid of something or, or a situation or feeling something. We're, we're, we're trying to avoid some situation. Guys, it's why in, in um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, the last letter, the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote Romans, he says, he tells Timothy, he's like, he's like fan into flames the gift of the Holy Spirit. Fan into flames the spirit that is in you. Because he did not give us a spirit of fear. Or timidity. But he gave us a spirit of power. He gave us a spirit of love. He gave us a spirit of, what's the last one? Oh, self-control. He's like, guys, focus on that. And that's what Paul, Paul's saying all of that in one line here. He's saying, in, in part of a verse, he's saying, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But... You have received, the, now get this guys, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons or sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Guys, we are his children. Adoption, it's, it's our last talking points question. We'll get there in a minute. But guys, adoption is something, adoption into the family of God is something we have to really embrace way more than we do. It is one of the great soul like giving things in the Christian world that we are actually called Sons and daughters, children 
of the king of kings. Right? And, 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 and then he, to, to press the point, he says, by which you cry out, Father, Father. Because Abba, Father, is, but those, are both, those are two words for the word Father. So what's he doing? Back to that whole Greek thing. Here's what, actually, one of the words is Aramaic. Here's what Paul is doing. He's making a point by using the same, the same two different languages of the same word twice. Why would he say, we cry out, Father, Father? Well, because the Aramaic word Abba, Abba is Aramaic. It was one of the languages, that probably the primary language, actually, that Jesus spoke, right? And it was, and, and it actually, can, it, it's the word for, for daddy, or father. It's why you'll hear people say stuff like, hey, dad, like they're praying, hey, daddy, I, I just want to pray. For, like, for me, I don't do that well. Like, like, when people pray that way, hey, daddy, I get it. It's biblical. I mean, it's right there. I get where they're, this is where they're getting it. So I, if you pray that way, I'm not going to tell you not to pray that way. I'm just saying, for me, it, it, it kind of makes God seem a little too familiar. But the whole point of it is that he is, the whole point of him using this word here is he's trying to convey God is familiar. He's saying, he's saying that word Abba in Aramaic means daddy. It's, it's presenting the relational, like personal part of God. And then he adds to it the other, another word for father, the Greek word for father, which the rest of the letter is written in, which it conveys in the, in the Greek culture, the father was the person of power and control. So he's trying to convey, what Paul's trying to convey here, by saying Abba, Father, is we have a God who is personal and relational and powerful and sovereign. And, and we want, we, it's, it's why the, the, the mission statement of Cross Train Church is that we would train people to teach God's truth. Because we want people to know that God. Not just the personal, warm, fuzzy God. And also not just the sovereign, in control of everything God. We want, we want to train people, we want to teach people to know God as both, as, as relational and personal and as sovereign and powerful. And so we're going to, that's why we do the training center the way we do it. That's, it's where Paul's going to take us, at the, I'm not going to go there now, but at the, ends of, at the end of Roman eight, when, Romans 8, which we'll probably spend like three weeks on these four verses, for God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then he finishes in verse 31 where he says, for if God is for us, who can be against us? That's a very personal God. But all the stuff between those things that make those two things true is the powerful God. And if we don't have verses 29 or 29 and 30, verses 28 and 31 don't hold together. We can't say God works all things together for good unless God is actually in control of everything. Does that make sense? So we want to know God and we want to teach God we, we, want, we want to teach other people the God who is both powerful and personal. And that's ultimately why, why he goes to all that trouble right there. So, so back to the word adoption. Look at your talking points question. It's the last one. It says, so, it says, adoption is one of the things that we need to think more about. Our adoption as sons and daughters of the king is one of the most life-giving and soul-nourishing doctrines of Scripture. Because you are, now so here's a sentence I want you to finish. Because you are adopted into God's family, we blank. Because, because you are adopted into God's family, I rejoice. What else? Live forever, eternity, secured. I'm chosen. 
I'm a child of God. I'm content. I'm being transformed into the image of Christ. I'm, I'm privileged to join in his suffering. I'm like, like fill in the blank. Because here's what I want to encourage you to do. Not right now, I'm preaching, but like today, sometime, tomorrow, sometime, I want you to fill in the blank. Because we, we pass out these, like, this is who Jesus says we are, and we, we have sheets that talk about, like, the I am who I am because the great I am says that I am, and it has all these things about who he says you are. I get that. But when I hand you a piece of paper, you go, oh, that's really sweet, thanks. And, you, and most of you have never seen it again. I want you to spend some time with the Holy Spirit going, because I am an adopted child of God. It says so right here, if I'm a Christian, that I am adopted by God. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to your identity? How is it helping you redefine you and your relationship with him? That's ultimately what we're trying to get to. Brings us to our last point. See, I told you we'd move fast. And I'm not trying to move fast. It's just the way, the argument, the way Paul's argument goes. So ultimately, we're, we're trying to ask this question. So why should we care so much about this kingdom identity? Because... How you identify yourself, your identity, inform, or, um, sets your mind's attention and your heart's affection. And guys, what has, whatever has your heart is what you are worshiping. It, it's just the, it's the way it is. And I'll say it again. Biblical worship is when we, and I don't know if I actually said this at the beginning. Biblical worship is when we set our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God. Praising him for who he is and what he's done. Biblical worship is when we set our mind's attention and heart's affection on God. Praising him for who he is and what he's done. There's, that's a period. Regardless of the circumstances of our life. Regardless of the troubles that we're going through relationally. Regardless of our, bank, our current bank account. Regardless of whatever. If in the moment that those things are real and a struggle... When I can, in that moment, turn my mind's attention and heart's affection to God and in praise, I am never more like Jesus. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. That's, he's looking around. Jesus is looking around. He had an, Paul just told us, he, he put on a flesh suit to come down here to die for our flesh. And that flesh is looking around going, Father, if, it's, if, there's, if you found another way while I'm down here, now would be the time. But then he says, yet, not my will, but your will be done. David, Psalm 22, the psalm that, one of the psalms that I believe Jesus was working through to remind himself of the beauty of his father as he was hanging on a cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my groanings are the word of your praise. I cry by day, but I have no answers. I cry by night, but I have no rest. And then in verse 3 of Psalm 22, it says this, yet. So, he's, so David is looking around. He's like, and then, he, and then, and then that moment between verse 2 and verse 3 of Psalm 22, yet, yet you are holy. Yet you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Yet in you our fathers trusted, and they were not disappointed. Guys, it is that, mo that is the moment where you know your identity is looking in the right direction. When you can, in the midst of the struggle, turn your eyes to heaven and go, Yet you are God. So look at those last couple of verses. 
So we cry out, Abba, Father. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, now get this, guys, it's, it's like as if that isn't enough. Like as if, as if our salvation isn't enough. He's like, you're not only children, but as children, you are heirs. Heirs to, to things beyond anything we can comprehend. C.S. Lewis has a couple of quotes. I'll butcher both of them. But both, basically what they, one of them says, why are we so happy? We are, we are like children who are satisfied to play with mud pies on the bank when we have been invited to the banquet of the king. And then he said, and then the other one I don't know as well, but, but, he, but I, I just read it fairly recently, but he, said just, he, says, he says, you know what's surprising isn't that we are so dissatisfied as Christians. We're constantly looking for the next best thing. He says, what's surprising is that we're so easily satisfied. That we think the things of this world are somehow going to satisfy us when we've been made for another world. So if you find yourself contenting yourself with this world, you're not really grasping what you're an heir to. He says, you are an heir of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Guys, like, kaboom, that should blow up our brains, right? Now get this, I wish this part weren't in here. Provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Like, I wish that wasn't in there. I do. I want to wipe that out of my Bible. Like, I just want to finish with, I'm an heir with God and a fellow heir with Christ, period. Paul, please. Right? Just, just, no, no. If we suffer with him, why? Because God's end game for you and I in this world is to get us to that world whenever that is. Whether it's when he comes and takes us individually or he comes back and, and we all, and the new heaven and the new earth come with him. I, guys, Get this, his end game for you is to get you to glory looking as much like Jesus as possible. And you cannot get there without scars. You cannot get there looking like Christ without scars. That's why best life now does not work. We don't want best life now. It's not just that it's not even the gospel. It's that like we, if, if people that actually want that are missing the whole point of the gospel. No mind has seen, no ear has heard, no, no, or no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor, nor can any mind even comprehend all of the things that he has in store for you and I. That's what you're an heir to. And we're just like sitting here going, yeah, but I'm, I find my happiness in this bottle or on this website or with this stuff. Guys, we, the reason that is true in the church, the reason that's true in my own heart even, is, is we... One, our, our flesh is real. But two, we have bought into a false gospel, put on Jesus, and your life will be better. That is nowhere in Scripture. Or half a gospel. And the half a gospel looks a couple of ways. If Christ is in you, you're good to go. You're golden. You prayed a prayer, you, you dunked in our pool, you're good. Eternity secured. Don't worry about it. And have no, no hunger for spiritual things, no evidence of fruit. No, it doesn't matter. You remember when you prayed the prayer and you got dunked in the pool. That's ha- that's, that, guys, there, there is truth. Confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And get baptized. Some of you have not been baptized yet. You need to get baptized. There's truth in that. It's half the gospel. 
But here's the other way half the gospel can look. Christ is in you, praise the Lord. Now get busy about cleaning yourself up. That's half the gospel. Because the whole gospel is Christ is in you, there is now no condemnation for you. None. Zero. No condemnation in Christ. Period. He will clean you up. Guys, what we need is the full, robust reality of the gospel. If Christ is in you, you are in Christ, and all that is Christ is yours. Whether you do anything about it or not, other than just live that reality. Because if you'll just live that reality, Christ is in me, the hope of glory. Christ is in me, and I am in Christ. All the other stuff will happen. We will want to come to his word. We will want to have a conversation with him in prayer. We will want to gather with his people. We will want to do those things. Not because we are trying to be anything other than who he said we already are. We have a massive, massive identity problem. We do. So I'm just going to close with this. I'm going to remind you of this. The music team is going to come up, and we're going to go into our time of response. And we'll take communion together. I'll lead you through taking the cups when, as they get passed around. And it says, the, the first part of, I want you to remember the first part of verse 17. If you are a child of God, read that as saying, if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, that makes you a child. That's what he said, Paul. Then you're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus has done for you. He has, a, he has made it possible for God to adopt you in to a family that will blow your mind if you'll just let go of this world. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth and the beauty that is the gospel. I thank you that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Therefore, let us just live that identity. Let us just live consistent with who you say that we are. That we are your children. We are your sons and daughters. Nothing comes to us that is not first filtered through you. So Lord, in those moments of struggle and trial, in those moments of temptation and, and where, where, our, where, that, where our fleshly selves that is real and described in your word, where, where that is bubbling up and we're looking around at this world, Lord, let us take those, grab a hold of those moments and, and claim the sin that they are because we're looking at the wrong kingdom and the wrong king and let us do what you tell us to do to keep looking up because our salvation the the process of of being saved of being sanctified is drawing nearer and nearer as we press through those moments into Christ lord and i pray that it would all be to conform us into your beautiful image in jesus name amen